worthy hymn, worthy. Our attention to the Word of God this morning as we, and I'll turn my mic on, I think I got it okay. Um, I will turn your attention to the book we have been studying the past couple of weeks, it's 1 Corinthians. We're going to read from the end of the second chapter into chapter, excuse me, end of the chapter 12 into chapter 13. This morning we're dealing with the topic of being provoked to anger. I want you to hear the word of God. And yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to the hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. This is the word of God. You may be seated. I want to thank Mimi. I tell you, it's such a wonderful thing when you come to church and you hear someone who sings and you just think, wow, uh, that's just a taste of heaven. Amen? Well, I want you to know another taste of heaven is uh, with Jim and Sandra Schmidt, who are not here this morning. They are playing hooky from church because they're celebrating 55 years of marriage. Can you believe that? So the next time you see Sandra, ask her, how did you do that? Don't ask Jim, he said. Don't ask him. He, you know, they're both very grateful. And uh, I am so thankful to the Lord that they are taking time to renew their vows and be with each other on this, this occasion of 55 years. Uh, this church has had a history of people who have been married for long periods of time. Uh, I know that there were many uh, through the times that I have served here that many celebrated over 68 years of marriage. Did you, when did you get married? And they said, we got married illegally. And I said, what do you mean you got married illegally? They would go to South one year earlier because the age to marry was the one year earlier in South Carolina. I think of another, and their marriages stayed together. So it is possible. But this morning, as we think about our relationships with each other, especially as Christians, the topic of anger is probably the most difficult thing that you and I deal with. And that is not just someone else's anger, it's our anger. And, and I want you to know that um, I am not happy that Logan... Uh, asked me to preach on this passage. In fact, I'm angry at him because, because I really feel like I'm an expert at being angry. I can be angry over anything. I can be angry that God doesn't give me what I expect. I can be angry at myself when I don't live up to my own expectations. Can I hear an amen? Yeah. I can be angry with others when they don't live up to my expectations, right? And so this whole business of anger is really quite amazing because as you and I deal with this issue, we are told that as the Christian community, which 
is endeavoring to grow in our walk with Jesus Christ, one of the fruits that we should be expecting God to bear in our lives is the ability to love God and to love our neighbor as ourself. But no one does it perfectly. In fact, we have this letter because Paul was writing a group of Christians in the town of Corinth who were doing it miserably. They hated each other. And you could see by the way they treated one another. If you don't believe me, and I won't take away the time to draw your attention to the scriptures and read it to you, you can go back to the chapters earlier and you can see how there was great division and great anger that was being displayed in that church's life. And many of you have come to our church because you've experienced that kind of anger in other churches. You've experienced being a part of a fellowship that says, I believe in Jesus. But then the church that you are attending looks like the world because they don't deal with anger well. well one of the reasons we're going through this whole business of understanding this passage is if you want to be a part of this church and we want to glorify God and enjoy him forever we must come to the realization that you and I have an anger problem and we must begin to deal with it not by our own efforts and power we must deal with it by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ because only he is the one who can save us so in light of that we come to that phrase love is not easily angered well what is he talking about in this passage why does he put it that way well please notice he's using a Greek word again a rare Greek word even for that day proxunitai and it literally talks about that quality where it rises or rouses in us activity it stirs up it provokes us and that whole business of being provoked, uh, I, I dare say in my family, we are great at provoking each other. Uh, my brother calls me and I'll ask him, what do you want now? And he'll be telling you, I don't want anything from you, you bum. And then we go on for the next 30 minutes jabbing at each other. It's been a couple of times when my, my wife and my daughter would come to me after the phone call was over and say, Dad, do you, do you love your, your brother? Do you love him? I said, well, sure I do. Couldn't you tell by the way we talked with each other? Well, one of the things that you and I recognize is that there are moments when something happens in our hearts that rises or rouses activity to respond to other people. It stirs us. It provokes us to action. In fact, this word speaks about a state of irritation expressed in argument or sharp, sharp disagreement. In other words, if you were to take the root word of this Greek word and you were to look it up in the dictionary, it literally means sharp. And how many times have you been sharp with someone else? I'm, not, I'm hopefully thinking you didn't bring a knife out of your kitchen and start cutting on people, but the imagery is just this important with the words that we use, isn't it? I dare say I was talking with my daughter this past week and I remember something I said months ago and I was grieved, heart-stricken because the Holy Spirit was bringing to my memory something I said that I never intended to be cutting to her, but it wounded her. 
And because she was wounded, I was wounded even more as her father. And I was thinking, what kind of man would say such a thing? Have you been there? What provokes that kind of thing in us? Well, here we are told that love is not easily provoked with anger. Well, then what is anger? Let's talk a little bit about that. If that's what we're to think about, then what is this thing we are calling anger? Well, the Hebrew term, the Old Testament term, is a term that literally talks about nostril. It's, it's, it's a, <sighs> you ever done that? <sighs> well, that's really what the Hebrew word describes as the seat of our anger. It's that moment where we just excel, we exhaust in, from our bodies, from our, from our little center of our, our gut. We go, ha. <sighs> that's the Hebrew frustration, the stress, the natural response that you and I have to a world that is not perfect and we desire perfection. We desire a world where there is no war. We desire a world where our children grow up and do everything they're supposed to do. Amen? We desire a world where our government functions the way we expect it to. We desire a church where everyone dresses nicely and everyone looks good and no one ever sins. But the truth is, we live in a world that is filled with pain, not just in the external things we see, it is in the internal places of our hearts. You and I must admit to ourselves in the families of origins we come from, in the communities we've been a part of, we have not only experienced anger, we have been the source of it. We have hurt as well as hurt others. In fact, I was talking with Ken Belk about something that happened to me a, year, a couple of weeks ago. I was driving down the road, and I had my cruise on. I was driving the speed limit, and these two guys on a motorcycle came by, and they were passing me, and one just kind of took off my front end of my bumper. No kidding. If he had been two inches closer, he would have been wiped out, and I would have run over him. And he just looked like back at me and looked at me like, what are you going to do about that? At that point, in my mind, I wanted to mash the gas and run over him. That's anger. Yeah, that's anger. The most amazing thing is that when you think about that, then, then you and I begin to think, well, if I'm angry, I'm sinning, right? Because if I get angry, I must, I must be crossing a line. I must be doing something that, that really is sinful before God. But that's not what the Bible teaches about anger. In fact, in the, the book of Ephesians, if you turn to chapter 4, verse 26, in this long passage where Paul is admonishing Christians to live out their faith in Jesus Christ, he says, amazingly, in your anger, do not sin. Now, that's only part of the verse. I'll come back to that in just a minute. But think of this. Anger, wherever it is in your heart, whenever it is provoked, the feeling of anger, God says, is a normal, creative thing that God has given us. If we are angry, it's not a sin. The emotion there is 
a warning sign. It's like an alarm, a red flag waving for us to understand that emotionally something is happening in our lives that we are not at peace with. And so when you and I begin to think about anger, let me relieve you. If you have been angry, there may be reason why you should have been angry. And there's no sin in that. But here's where the problem comes. Because of our sinful nature, when anger comes, when it possibly raises or is provoked, we don't know how to deal with it. It's not that The emotion is sinful. No, it's the way in which we express it. It's the way we express that feeling of anger that can be sinful. It's the expression of what's on my heart and in my mind that can be a sin. It's not necessarily a sin. It could be. The most amazing part of this that really astounds me is that you and I are very much familiar with what it is to be provoked to that place where in our emotions we really are at odds with ourselves as to what to do. Mark Crosgove, who's a professor of psychology at Taylor University, writes about anger in this way. He says anger has, has three components. There's the, 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 the physiological response, that emotion that, that grips us. That's the first part of what anger is about. The second is a cognitive response. It's that place where I'm turning in my mind like I was turning in my mind. What am I going to do with this gentleman who was riding the motorcycle in front of me? What am I going to do with that? You see? And then that third part of the, the component of anger is not just how I feel or what I think. It's what I do with it, what action I have. And please notice in every one of these descriptions of what love is, it is an action. Love takes action. And when I am angry and I let that anger twist my thinking, I take action. And the part of it, is so struggling for me is that the action I take is often is sinful because it is motivated not by glorifying God or loving Christ or even my neighbor. It is motivated by having my way, by wanting people to do my will. And it's in that way of behaving that we can hurt others in our rage which is always destructive, rage, unrestrained behavior, in our resentment, in our holding back respect and honor with, for others, even people we disagree with. Or there's a way in which we can respond which is good and has become indignant when I heard on the news about how these men had gone into Israel in their anger, they not only shot people, they killed babies. They chopped off heads. Anger. And I was incensed. That's not wrong. To be indignant and evil 
Why, even David in the Psalms cried out to God in anger, God, why do you allow the righteous to be forsaken and the wicked to prosper? Could you do that to God? Could you tell him what you're feeling? Well, that's why you have a Savior. You see, as we sang this song before the sermon, we come to Jesus. We arise and go to Jesus. Why? Because we know in our hearts that when we feel provoked to anger, we will hurt someone. But most of all, we will hurt ourselves. Amazingly, when you think about this, there really are something for us to deal with that, that really is endemic. One of the things that that Bert Gezi talks about in his book, The Angry Christian. He says that when you and I think about our walk with Christ and dealing with our anger, he says these things. He says there are two primary causes of angers or angry related directly to our sinful nature. What two? Well, the first one is uh, the unwillingness to let go. What do I mean by that? Well, he's, he puts it this way. He says we hold on to things. We grasp things that should be yielded to God. And then we lose things and we are angered. Do you know that that is one of the things that plagues a church whenever we talk about music? Well, I don't like that song. Why don't you like the song? It doesn't fit my taste. I, I don't know if you know this, but songs are not chosen to fit your taste. They're, they're chosen to be sung to God to glorify Him. But we can so easily become emotionally attached to certain things that we hold on to them thinking that they are honoring God when in fact we no longer honor God. We are more concerned about keeping things the way we are comfortable having them first year of marriage is always an exciting time isn't it you ever thought about what happens when people get married you take one person who grew up in a family that has traditions and customs and attitudes and behaviors and they marry another person who comes from a totally different family that's not like the family their new spouse came from and then you put them in close confined areas like a room would you be surprised if there are moments of anger? I'll never forget when Cindy and I were, were working through our early years of our marriage. And, and I grew up in a home where I had a mother who I deeply loved, but she loved to make sure that she had her way. And the way she did it was she would manipulate you. And here's how she would do it. She would say, would you mind doing this? And I'd say, sure, Mom, I'll do it. And then if I didn't do it on her timetable at that moment the way she wanted, she would immediately do it. And then when you came to honor the commitment to doing the task, he would turn around and say, oh, that's okay, I already did it. I could tell you were too busy. Right? Well, I was watching a game on a Sunday afternoon. And it was a great game on football. And my, it was only minutes before the game was over and the team was rushing down to the, to the goal line. 
And Cindy walks into the den and says, Honey, would you mind taking the trash out to the garbage? And I said, Sure, I'll do it in a minute. And I was glued to the TV. And as, as I got up after the game was over, so excited, my team won. So excited that they did. I walked into the kitchen and said, Okay, where's the trash? And she said, Oh, honey, don't, don't worry about it. I, I could see that you were enthralled with the game. I, I took it out. <laughs> I mean, it was this big cloud that came into the kitchen. It was horrible. And I was like, oh. Man, you know that feeling, don't you? You want to growl. That's, that's probably why it comes from the gut. Oh, right? And she's like, no, honey, no, no. I, I just, I did it because I love you. I was angry. Oh. What happened? Well, you could say, she wasn't loving. She provoked me to anger. That's not the passage. Love is not you allowing people to provoke you. Not stopping someone from provoking you. Love is not responding to those who provoke you. Wow. The other part of this that gets gets he talks about is resentment. It, it's holding a grudge against someone or something as the root of my anger. Resentment comes when pride in valuing it comes with pride in valuing uh, our, our in valuing. I wish I could preach this morning. Would y'all pray with me? <laughs> you can tell I didn't want to preach this sermon. That the most amazing thing about this is that resentment comes with pride in the valuing of oneself over others. And an unwillingness to forgive others related directly to the views that says, I am better and I would not do such a thing and I would never say that. And so the pride and self-righteousness of my sinful nature leads me into resenting others. It's not just holding on, it's keeping a resentment against others. I found a poem by William Blake, who is a British poet. He titles this poet, this poem, The, the Poison Tree, and it, it really encapsulates that emotion of resentment. He says, or he, write, he wrote, I was angry with my friend. I told my wrath, my wrath did end. I was angry with my foe. I told it not. My, my wrath did grow. I watered it in fears, night and morning with tears. I, and I sunned, sunned it with smiles and with with soft, deceitful wiles. And it grew both by day and night till it bore an apple bright. And my foe held its shine and he knew that it was mine. And in my garden stole when the night had veiled the pole in the morning. Glad I see. My foe outstretched beneath the tree.
You hear it? That poison tree is a tremendous description of how resentment works in our lives because of anger. Anger that people hold on to, that you and I hold on to. We refuse to give up. We nurse along. We hide it from the convicting world until it grows inside of our heads and like a huge poisonous tree and our foes remain our enemies until death. And even after they're dead, it's not enough. You want to dig them up and bury them again. There's a great movie out. It's called The Equalizer. Have you seen it? It's the third movie. Denzel Washington plays a man who, who wants to administer justice in an unjust world. And so what he does is he goes out and he eliminates the problems. In one particular movie, I believe it's the second one, his, his former ally and friend in, in the Secret Service has been murdered. And he finds out that he, they have been betrayed by another friend who was part of that team he once, once worked with. And he comes to this person with the others that are gathered there. And he says to them, he says, I just want you to know I'm going to kill all four of you. And the only problem with that is that I can only do it once. I wish I could just dig you back up and kill you again. And I thought, there it is. There's resentment. Well, let me ask you, what would our church be like if you held that kind of resentment? Or maybe you do. Maybe you are a person who doesn't know how to deal with the anger that is a genuine feeling and you have bled so hard that you're looking for that person you still hold that resentment for to be dead under the tree of poison that you have planted is it really possible is it really possible for us as warped and marred as we are as people to be changed. And this is the wonderful good news of the gospel. We can let go of the things we were holding on to. We can let God begin to work in the resentments we have. And is it possible that we can control anger? The answer is yes. But it's not that we control. It's that we are under the control of one who can help us. This is the glory of the cross. That we are under the control of the one who can help us. Well, how does he do that? Notice where Paul writes and he says, Love, love does not let itself be provoked. Well, what does that mean? Does it mean I have to just negate these feelings, bury them, hide them? If you do that, it would be worse. Remember the poem of the poison tree? No, we're to express that anger. Uh, one of the things that Cindy has said to me after now we've celebrated so many years of marriage, she said, you know, the thing I like about you is that you're willing to work through our problems together. And I want you to know, God bless her. Uh, and that we have worked through some problems. But it was only because we were willing not to allow the emotional anger that we were feeling to allow the thoughts that came from them to 
take activity in how we treat it. And even when we did that, we would say, please forgive me. See, that's where the gift of the church is different from the world. You look at what's happening in the Middle East. Do you know that that is generational sin of anger? Generations have learned how to hate each other. And it will continue because the cycle will not be broken unless they turn to Christ and are healed. Is it possible? Yes. Love does not provoke itself. What does it mean? Anger can be a positive instrument of change in any relationship. Did you know that? If you become angry, it's a sign that you need to go to the person who you are angry with. Look at the situation you are angry over. Talk to the God who you will not worship because he has not given you what you expect. And you begin to go to those things, those people in those places, and you begin to unwrap the fact that I am angry. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm angry at you. There's nothing wrong with that. And there's nothing wrong with letting a person be angry and asking, well, if you're angry, tell me how you are angry and why you are angry. You see, that, that is the difference in the Christian walk in the world. The world says, I'm angry, I shoot you. I kill you. The Christian says, I'm angry. I go to my brother and sister and tell them, I am really angry. It's the first step. The second is just as important. It's knowing that the way we deal with anger, the way we deal with anger is also tied to the awareness that I grew up in a family that trained me on how to deal with my anger. From a child, your parents taught you how to deal with your anger. And some lessons were good and some lessons were bad. I talked with some people who have told me that they grew up in a family where they were never allowed to express their anger. And they're so bottled up, they can't even function in relationships anymore because the anger that they have unresolved in their gut, they can't get it out. It's been corked for so long that they don't know how to deal with the anger and I want you to know if you're like that I want you to realize I aware I'm a very much aware that in 20 minutes I cannot answer all the questions you have about anger and if you have anger issues you need help you need a counselor you can go and talk to someone who doesn't know you who can be objective in helping you see why you have these feelings and allow you to express them so that in the expression, you can begin healing. Well, if that's true then, if it's true that we can control our anger and that love does not let itself be provoked, that anger can be a positive thing, then how can I use it positively in my life? It's first, as I said, acknowledging my anger. Love acknowledges the anger. The second is that I am to work through in my mind cognitively. I am to hinder the first reactions I have to lash out, to, to give someone the rage that they deserve in my mind. It is to ask God to simply help me 
resist that temptation to go to the old nature and hurt others and begin to step one step back and ask the Lord, Lord, help me to see what it is that this, this situation has caused in my heart. I don't know if you know this, but in, in that passage from Ephesians chapter 4, where I said, Paul wrote, and he says, be angry, but don't sin. He's actually quoting from Psalm 4, 4. And Psalm 4, 4 reads in this, God is speaking to the, the people who are in worship. And through this psalm, God says, terrible and do not sin. Tremble and do not sin. Tremble and do not sin. When you are on your beds searching or search your hearts and be silent. Do you hear it? The psalmist really is talking about those moments where we, we stew over what people have done to us. Have you done that? You ever stewed over someone doing something to you? It's in those moments that the stewing is going on, that the, the kernels of how we might use our anger to sin become planted. And it's in those places that God says real love doesn't allow that to have its fruit. How do you do that? Well, if you have someone you really trust and you really know who will t be honest with you, you could go to them and say, you know, I'm angry over this. Am I wrong? Remember that passage, Ephesians chapter 4? If you read the entire thing, verse 25 through 32, listen how Paul directs the Ephesians on how they are to behave in the midst of dealing with their feelings of anger. He says, therefore, each of you, and by the way, the whole first three chapters of Ephesians talks about the work of Christ in us on the cross, what God has done, how he has accomplished what we could not do for ourselves. Then in chapter 4, Paul begins to apply that to how we're to live out the gospel. Notice what he says. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are members of one body, in your anger, do not sin, quote, unquote. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may be that it may benefit those who listen and do not grieve the holy spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption get rid of all bitterness rage and anger brawling and slander along with every form of malice notice in that verse verse 31 he talks about what goes on in your mind when you have these feelings of anger Be kind. Instead of following what goes on in your mind, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Why? Because that's how Christ has forgiven you. And there is the power that can help us learn how to feel angry and find it to be the gentle opportunity 
to grow closer to God. You see, the last part of this whole sermon really speaks to it, doesn't it? It's love chooses to act on the feelings of anger, remembering that we, you and I, were once objects of God's anger. We were objects of his wrath, but now we're objects of his grace and mercy through Jesus Christ. Do you hear it? When you're having struggles here, letting go, the only one that can help you is Jesus. And he's got his arms wide open. You say, well, you don't understand what people did to me. Look at what they did to Jesus. Do you think he doesn't understand? You don't understand what people have said to me. Do you not think that they said even worse things to the Lord? He knows. He is compassionate. He understands the emotions you have. And Paul says, if you really, really understand the gospel, then you will really embrace Jesus. You will arise and come to Jesus. Because you know he's the only one who can help you learn how to deal with your anger. Oh, there's so much more here. Many of y'all are falling out. Would you, would you punch the person next to you and say, hey, wake up. <laughs> Don't do it with anger. The glory of our God. You know, I'm angry. I'm angry at the world right now. When I look at what's happening in our world and our nation, when I see rising food prices and gas prices, when I see all that's happening, I get, I get angry. But my friends, if you really believe in God and He is a sovereign God, none of this is a surprise to Him. And he has brought you into this life at this time that you might glorify him and give witness to the power of the cross. But you can't do that until you come to Jesus. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and our Father, how grateful we are for the gift of mercy and grace. Uh, we pray it every Sunday. Um, forgive us our debts, even as we have forgiven our debtors. I don't think it was a typo when you said that. You, you intentionally wanted us to understand that the freedom we desire, we do not have the ability to obtain, but only Christ has given to anyone who would come to him. For that we give you thanks, Jesus. Thank you.